The Perfectly Generic podcast contains spoilers, occasional adult language, and Vriska. You've been warned. This is the Perfectly Generic podcast. Uh, so we had a pretty, we had like a, you know, like a serious big brain episode last week because Optimistic Duelist is a, is a big brain person. Uh, so I decided I'm just going to, we're going to kick back. We're just going to have a chat this week. Uh, I'd like to welcome brain back. Fellow. I can't do big brain. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not big brain this weekend. Well, first off, I think playing Marvis's route just melted my brain completely. And now I can't ever think anything mm. ever again. <laughs> It's something. I'm not sure what. <laughs> this is this is Safaridon. Uh, Saf's back from our very first episode. It's so good to have you back. Ten episodes later. Uh, thank you very much. How have how have things changed for you in engagement with Homestuck since the first episode of the Perfectly Generic podcast back in August? Well, we still don't have Link. I remember talking about how excited I was to see him and thinking, he's going to oh, be last here. <laughs> <laughs> he really is going to be last, isn't he? They're saving the furry vampire to the bitter end. Yeah. He's going to be a furry. He's going to be a furry. <laughs> yeah, save the best for last, dude. And and to be clear, having him be a furry is accurate trans representation because like 90% of us are. Yeah, honestly, there's no arguing that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if anything, what I really want to see from Lank is just you know, what is Troll Warrior series like on Eternia? Yeah, That's right. Back on episode one, we were like, like let's let's get a detailed look at, at uh, like, the gender sociology on Alternia, and now it's just like, give me give me more Warrior Cats information. <laughs> warrior Pur Beasts. Soldier Pur Beasts. Have, we know you have furries, but, like, how fur are we talking here? <laughs> we need We need more Alternian furry lore. Because, you know, Nepeta was a furry. We need more information on what exactly that means on Alternia. I just need to know, did Lank, at the equivalent age of, like, 13 or 14 or whatever, sit down in front of his laptop, go onto the troll equivalent of DeviantArt, and just look up, like, fursona generators while also reading those fanfictions on another tab? Also probably hosted on DeviantArt. Or live journal. As as oh, mentioned God, in his troll call card, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's even better now. <laughs> he still has a live journal. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait. But yeah, that's more or less where I am. Like uh-huh. the lore has gotten deeper. There's so many more questions. Ever since like Boulder's routes come out, like I fundamentally looked at high, um, friends him in a completely different way. Like, everyone's just confused now. I'm confused. We still don't have Link. Still don't have the furry. And and since the since the show started, you know, we got further confirmation that, you know, there is going to be an epilogue and post canon content mm-hmm. for Homestuck. Yeah. Uh, are you excited about that? Are you nervous about that? Both. Is it possible to be both? Yes. Yeah, I am for sure. <laughs> I don't know what's going especially after this week's round of um of episodes, both Fathers and Marvis's. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what to expect. I'm definitely excited, but <laughs> we got we got thrown for a few. This was just about friendship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember when these were just like little vignettes of like silly character stories? Remember when it was just about making like the really mean girl with three eyes be your friend? Oh, I did. Remember like when that. I was just finding hot dogs for that fella? I miss that. We could go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our dad is. Um, our- 
We still don't know our data's sign, though, do we? No, we don't. We don't know our data or Marvis's sign, which I, is curious. Very curious. Do, yeah, do you think that that's intentional? You think that our data's a character we should be keep looking at? I... I hope so? Just because for, I, I just find, personally, our data, I find her absolutely delightful. Um, local oh, like, liker of Mean Girl <laughs> likes our data. Can you believe it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um... But, like, you know, I, I definitely am interested in, like, why haven't they shown us her sign? What is the significance, in fact, of aspects? Because you can see, with the characters who do have revealed aspects, like, how much that suffuses their writing. Like, how important it is to, like, their definition of the character. I was going to say, you were having that conversation before about um, Tizius and Stelz and how... Um, isn't the only difference between them that one of them is a Dursey dreamer, Stelza, and then one of them is a Prospect dreamer, and that's Tizius? Yep. And you were looking into, you know, how that slight difference in Lunar Sway leads to radically different, um, ways they engage with the culture surrounding them? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of people would look at, like, Tizius and Stelza and not think of them as emblematic of Prospect and Durst, respectively. And That's true. I think that shows you how the the moons contain multitudes. Uh, sometimes you know, sometimes a, a like Stelsa is more like the the Roxy type of Dursite, who's very outgoing, um, but you know keeps a lot of problems inside. Uh, and Tizius, mm-hmm. Tizius is a dreamer. Like you know, she's she's mm-hmm. very uh, she's very like she she's jaded. She's she's laconic, but she's still. Like someone who dares to dream of a of an idealistic world, and that's I think exactly that's it. She, yeah, she has the end goal of a better alternia. She acknowledges the brutal reality that they all live in, but she never abandons the idea that it doesn't have to be that way. Whereas to me, Stelsa seemed a lot more resigned. Like she, you know, maybe she's more outwardly happy and stuff, but at the end of the day, she um acknowledges as well the violence inherent to the world that they live in but she seems to genuinely not think that this can be changed Mm -hmm. at least without sacrifice it's just not right and you know that's (sighs) the thing a lot of people were a little put off by stelsa's uh Mm -hmm. initial unwillingness to get involved with any sort of anti-authoritarian sentiment uh, and her friend Sin, but it's like, you know, it's, it comes from a place of, and this is how she expresses blood, right? It's, it's out of a desire to protect Tizius and protect her relationships mm-hmm. and not introduce the danger that is rebellion into, mm-hmm. you know, the relationships and love that she finds meaning in. Exactly. I mean, I don't think that Stelsa is a bad person person for wanting to protect her loved ones and a life that even if it sucks is you know there you know they're still alive you have to acknowledge the material realities that come with you know asking for big change or trying to start a revolution you have to acknowledge that your life can be terribly disrupted um you could lose loved ones like it doesn't come without suffering so i look at someone like Stelso, who obviously is much a victim of the world's brutality as everyone else and is just trying to survive. Can I really be angry at her for that? No. I don't think that she's, you know, she's not Kuprum. She doesn't just stare at um, the royalty and think, oh, yeah, no, this is incredible. I love you so much. Like, obviously, she knows that there's something wrong about it, even if she's not 
as far along in that thought process as Tizzy is. She still knows there's bad in this world. But I can't be mad at her for being reluctant to put her her loved ones in danger and herself in danger to try and overhaul things if she thinks that overhaul can't even work. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the material reality of Alternia, uh, we got a troll this week that really explicitly engaged with the material history of the world and and specifically material dia- the the dialectic materialism uh, oh hell yeah yeah we got we got <laughs> so troll great. communism this week um <sighs> and so i'd like to thank uh Gizi, as he's credited aisha Farah's father for his excellent work he write he wrote Caraco's route and now wrote Fazer's route um <laughs> and, He's and so good at writing spooky sci-fi oh my gosh i know it, the, just like the caliber of both of those routes is just like oh my god mm-hmm. this is su- this is like such a pro writing it uh that's the mm-hmm. benefit of having that's the benefit of having the older and wiser folks i would you know i i would love <laughs> to talk to both of them about their writing processes and it's awesome to see them oh, both absolutely. working on this story um mm-hmm. so father you know father is obsessed with the material um you know, he sees a materialist explanation for everything. Uh, he, it's funny because the the uh, the Burgundy blood cast is associated with ghosts and the dead, right? Especially in Homestuck proper. Yep. And he literally, despite being a grave digger, doesn't believe in ghosts. <laughs> um, you know, if if a ghost came and talked to me, I would try to disprove them. Uh, and that's the sort of that's the sort of person that he is. Um, and, you know, so he speaks about the, the, the d- quiet dignity of labor, right? And I don't know how much of that is sincere and how much of that was just getting Protag to dig a hole for him that he didn't want to dig. <laughs> no, I, Fazer struck me, all right, it's a little difficult for me to fully engage with Fazer's character because halfway through his own episode, everything changes. But... Let's just call him pre-scratch father. Yeah. Seemed entirely sincere to me. Even, you know, even post, you know, big glowing light in the ground, he seems sincere. I do think he genuinely believes every single thing he's saying, regardless of how it winds up um, impacting, you know, MSBA reader. It seemed like... Even though the viewpoints that he shares throughout the route change radically just, you know, in an instant, he seems almost fanatically devoted to those beliefs and very enthusiastic about it either way. Like, you can see it in just the dialogue options, how you engage with him. Um, The moment it sounds like he might have found even one person who will listen to him and even sort of agree with him that at least pre-scratch, so to speak, that Alternia kind of sucks. He's so happy, and he's there to speak and have somebody listen to him, and I think that can only come from a place of genuine sincerity. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk about, then, what happens in the middle of his route, because it's it's deeply unsettling, deeply fascinating, and certainly very important for understanding. Fuck me up, that's what happened. Yeah. It was scary. <laughs> yeah, it was. So there's glowing lights, they discover a, 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 a hole, and it's basically looks like a hole in the world like you know, like you know mm-hmm. dipping a the tip of a shovel in there makes it appear to completely disappear and you know what that reminded me of uh it, it reminded remind? me of the house juju and john sticking his arm into it 
Oh, I haven't thought of that in a while. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, it it's and and like a bright white light came out of it. It was described as like a vinyl record scratching, right? Um, yeah. Like what's happening here is clearly has something to do with the mechanics of canonicity and like mm-hmm. the mechanics of like what is canon and what isn't and what does canon mean in this world or are as marvis would put it what does being canon mean in an inherently non-canonical framework skeet skeet brap (laughs) (laughs) that was like the ongoing theme throughout both of these episodes wasn't it like if you can get past all the um absurdity that was marvis's route like both of them directly looked at what canon means in friends or heck and just homestuck the entire universe of it as a whole timelines exist obviously but which ones matter do they all matter and why mm-hmm. but not to stray too far into marvis's because we're still talking about father i was genuinely terrified when that scratch happened so to speak and then you go through the repeat of that conversation but then we see his entire perspective on the world has done a total 180. He keeps the same fundamental personality. He keeps the same like enthusiasm for politics, his place in the world, his role in it, etc. Except that role that he's enthusiastic about completely changes. He's no longer, you know, an, an oppressed Burgundy who wants to overthrow the leaders, you know, start communist revolution, quote unquote. But he's more or less completely okay with living in an oppressive, violent, hierarchy you know he's okay with the hema spectrum he more or less just kind of becomes a a bootlicker yeah and it's implied and it seems to be that it has to be that way for the story to continue right that there is a track being put on and and father's views were in violation of that track (laughs) that's terrifying it is of all characters it terrifies me that someone with as strong a will and as strong of opinions as Fazer is the one who gets that agency completely stripped away from him. He doesn't get to have the opinions that we're introduced with. We don't. The Fazer that we know isn't the one that's compatible with the world, even though he's the one that we come to almost immediately like, mm-hmm. or at least relate to. And and, and, then well, and that's interesting around. because it's unsettling too. It goes back to what uh, happened in uh, Marsty's route, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where she mentions like I'm just keeping my head down and staying out of trouble, like an yeah. almost awareness of the fact that believing anything too strongly seems to be a nightmarish path on Alternia. Mm-hmm. Um, also makes me fear for Tizius. <laughs> I'm so afraid. Well, at least Tizius has been shown in multiple, I guess, victory routes so mm-hmm. far, more or less being who she is. So I th- think we can keep faith in her remaining as she was presented. But I'm still, like, pretty melancholy about Fazer's route because I like him so much and I was just so happy, even if it was just very on the nose, to mm-hmm. see this young Burgundy Blood guy who doesn't give a shit you know he was just so happy to shout it loud and proud i was like you know fuck the whole human spectrum systems fuck this is awful we have to overthrow it we have to start a revolution i was just so happy to see someone else who's just willing to say it 
mm-hmm. at least in confidence to MSPA reader. And then to have that all torn away immediately, I was heartbroken. Yeah. I'm really sad. And I still barely know whether I can say I like Fazer or not, because I don't know which one is Fazer anymore. Well, right. And I think here's the thing. The route does indeed, and I'm going to I'm gonna go off a little bit, does indeed tie into the materialist dialectic, um, because that is about... Uh, the unity and the conflict of opposites. Like, what what are the resolutions of the conflict inherent in the human mind? That's what dialectical materialism is, as expressed through by Marx and, and Engels working off of Hegel's dialectical idealism, which is just about, you know, the perfect expression of the human mind. The materialist view is about how current human society and human societal structures arose from what happened before. Uh, and and moved from a historical perspective. And when you look at Alternia, that's obviously very important. Uh, the structures of Alternia are entirely manufactured. They are entirely a material creation of Doc Scratch and then the aristocracy, right? Um, yeah. And in, Marv- in, and in Fazer's route... You literally, you materially, through labor, you, you dig a hole, you open a hole, and change the philosophy of a character. And I think it's a metaphor for how Scratch and, like, the story, the concept of a narrative has changed Alternia and created this nightmarish system. And it's a little distilled horror piece that is meant to show you how horrible the sociology of Alternia is overall. I can agree with that. I just, I wonder, I hope we see Fazer again in a later episode, but I wonder what will become of him. I remember, I wonder who he's going to be. I wonder how we're supposed to reconcile with that. I just wonder if that horror is truly over. Mm-hmm. It's not, but... <laughs> it's never over. <laughs> uh, Remember when we said this is going to be the lighthearted episode? Yeah, right? Remember, yeah. The, <laughs> hey, so this is just going to be a lighthearted, we're just going to shoot the shit. Also, let's talk about, uh, you know, the in, the intractable tyranny of, uh, <laughs> of societal systems. Um, so, you know, obviously the two routes this week went hand in hand. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm going to dip into some questions about Marvis now. None of you sent questions in about Fozzer, and I do want to say, listeners, I'm disappointed in you. I'm so sad. Yeah, I love Fazer. Yeah, me too. I just want him to be but the safe. thing is, is that Fazer was always going to be overshadowed because uh, the meme clown. That's the meme, why the meme clown. He got he titties out, and oh. his name is Marvis. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and he is sure something. So Aromancery asked on Discord, Marvis, what the fuck? And that's a pretty good summation of how we're all feeling. We've kind of, all weekend, we've had like a clown hangover in the Homestuck community. It was great watching you stream Marvis's route on Twitch, not only listening to you grow more hysterical with every passing description of the concert that went by, but also watching Twitch chat explode when you chose to sniff. Oh, yeah, I had to choose to sniff. Come on, what am I, a coward? (laughs) (laughs) You didn't have to do it. No, you didn't have to. You still, the the funniest thing about Marvis's route is that if you don't sniff his armpit, you still win. But if you do sniff his (laughs) armpit, here's the thing, is that I had to read it anyway, 
so I sh- so I had to subject my stream viewers to it. Like, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, anytime, dude. literally anytime. I will read the description of Marvis's armpits to you. Uh, Marvis armpit no. vortex. Oh, never again. <laughs> never again. Um, <laughs> so Aeromancery's second question is, why is he so hot? Uh, and the so my first answer to that is I'm too gay to really engage with that. Um, do you think he's hot, Sam? You're you're a, you're a boy liker. Okay, listen. So when I saw. <laughs> That first promo image of him where it's that sketch layer taped on top of Zebra's art. I thought, all right, I see the appeal. Mm-hmm. Titties out. I, I'm i one for big clown. Like, I felt the same way about Chahut when she was released. I was like, all right, here I go. I say I'm not a clown fucker, but it's 2018. I ought to open my horizons a little bit. And then I actually watched the route and... um. Have you ever watched those YouTube videos of those big wooden roller coasters where you're all the way up at the very top and you just go crashing down? That was my libido. <laughs> it just imploded. <laughs> He's a total fuckboy. So here's the thing. Here's the thing that I noticed. And this is my chief. Um, this is my like chief theory remarvis. So I think Zebra's in that route for a reason. Because Zebra is just this like horribly horny person who's just like constantly desperate. <laughs> But Zebra is there yeah. to illustrate the fact that the main character is acting the exact same way he is about Marvis. Um, More or less. Yeah. And like, like the, the main character is like instantly in love with Marvis and there's like teens lining up with buckets as described. Like, it really is like a BTS concert if you think about it. Yeah. But like, he specifically, he just saves your life, chats about class structure and like... You know, just like dishes and, and tries to become friends. Like he is actually invested in friendship. He isn't horny. He's just a. He's just like an idiot. He's just like a. He's he's not even an idiot. He's like he's just a fuckboy. But like he's not horny. The horniness is applied to him by the narrative voice. Like all the it's weird. <laughs> Continue. No, like all the weird stuff, like all the the like the, the diaper fixation, the 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 piss, oh. the 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 armpit stuff, like that all happens in like like either because of zebra or because of the narrator. Like it doesn't happen because of Marvis. Marvis is just an audience for this. Like in in many ways, he is like imprisoned by horny, um, and it's like um. and he's like actually saying some very serious stuff about how the class system works on Alternia and like you know, what his cast means and, like, what and like what their discontent is. And it's so hard to take him seriously because, A, he talks like a dumbass, like, and, and B, he's, like, surrounded by all this, like, stupid, horny iconography. Uh, all right, I guess... Uh, I, I feel like that's just in a weird way questioning your own interpretation of these past two episodes is like the another common theme between both his and father's route and father's you're forced to, forced to completely like re-examine how you thought of it because you know that scratch happens and father fundamentally changes but it's sort of the opposite in marvis's route where marvis is more or less like the same dude he's not impacted by the I guess absolute lunacy of everything going on around him like all the repulsive stuff Zebra says the sniffing the god 
fuck me for saying this concert diapers it's like, so anything like you have to dig past all of this just absolutely gross like dare i say like toilet humor to get to the core of that route but when you do he's also forcing you to take this really introspective thoughtful look at not just alternia not just trolls but more or less homestuck as a whole i remember someone else it was probably you mentioned it where it was a little comparable to um caliborn and how he forces you to really re-examine in caliborn's case homestuck as a whole but you have to dig past so much like goofy humor um just gross repulsive stuff to really get to the core of what he's saying but when you get there it is at least fulfilling that's how i felt about marvis's route like i had to actually re-watch it to really get a grasp of what he was saying without being in that haze of simultaneously just oscillating between oh hot clown and oh this entire route is disgusting but once i got past that point there's what a lot there made sense <laughs> and yeah yeah and yeah i did compare it to caliborn because it's like how to get the biggest like cosmic details of the homestuck universe you have to read like caliborn's just like repulsive stuff <laughs> and and that that dissonance that like active hostility to the reader and that thing that makes you almost regret being mo like being uh invested in it i would almost call that like the core mspa writing feeling like i would it's def it's definitely one of those big like homestuck motifs like reading something really serious but knowing you're gonna have to get through this big crust of just absurdity to get there mm -hmm. it's like but i went back and read better, man. i went back and read uh andrew hussey's first published comic uh mm -hmm. whistles the starlight calliope and yes the instrument is a calliope the the muse okay. is a calliope remember this podcast listeners <laughs> whistles the starlight calliope which is really heavy on the clowns it's entirely about like a circus of gigolos who are like it's a circus of male prostitutes it andrew hussey's work continues to engage with masculinity and gender in a really interesting way and has been for you know 11 years now <laughs> um and like it also presents some like really serious character moments but it's like wrapped in the shroud of like freaky male prostitute clowns and it's like designed to put you on edge and put you on your back foot and like you're not even like it leaves you almost bewildered <laughs> mm. sounds about right honestly sounds like what i expect from andrew husty's writing speaking of which marvis's uh route author is anonymous correct yeah they are yeah um whoever you are if you're listening to this right now Thank you. Yeah, Godspeed, uh, you crazy fuck diamond. Fuck you for this, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, thank you. Um, you are you are so brave. Some of the greatest artists have been anonymous in their own time because they feared the repercussions of what they created. You know, You're an incredible writer. You gave me a hernia, but I can't say you're bad at this. You are. You are. Uh, it was. It was good. Yeah. I don't have to like you for it to be good. <laughs> yeah, whoever you are, V, I, I, I do look, I hope we get to see more of your writing in this universe in the future, because it was, again, like, like I said, like, I think it really was spot on at capturing, like, exactly what is so simultaneously engaging and off-putting about Homestuck. <laughs>
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That sort of tonal dissonance between, like, really deep meaning underneath just absolutely batshit clown aesthetic. Yeah, that's pretty much Homestuck, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Clown as a metaphor for just loony stuff in general. Yeah, well, it's like what we talked about last week, where, like, Homestuck's a farce. Like... And like a farce, and like the like classical Greek comedy and classical Greek farces, like it's designed to make you think about deep things while also like providing you with that constant levity that makes you wonder how seriously to take it. Uh, and you know, you look back on like I I went back and read a uh, a, a play by Aristophanes, The Clouds, uh, recently, and it's like you know, it's like mm-hmm. a very serious like political thing uh but it's also just like a comedy about an old dude going back to college and there's like farting and shit and it's like (laughs) that is like that like essence of comedy and tragedy those two masks are are repeated all over clown church right like that that motif Mm -hmm. is everywhere uh and you see it in like how gamzy dies and you see it in the soleil twins who we have yet to meet um like we still have (laughs) yeah we still have one set of clowns left like we have more clown lore to go um, and that actually brings us to the next part of Arrow's question, which is, how is Marvis aware? Uh, like, why does Marvis have a better understanding of the ramifications of Doom timelines than anyone else? How is he aware that the Friend Sims as a whole are na- non-canonical, other than the fact that as a clown he's given the advantage of bullshit? And I wanted to add a point to that question of, like, why is Clown Church, a sa- like, the last place affected by the timeline breaking down? Do you have any theories on that? Why does Marvis know specifically? Yeah, like, my why does Marvis know stuff? Like my short, immediate gut impulse answer is, I don't fucking know, dude. <laughs> my long-form answer is probably not just, um, not just gleaning from Marvis's route, but also Caracos, where we see real canon, like, clown heaven, so to speak, the Dark Carnival. Probably... That religion is at least partially, like, maybe the clowns know more than we expect. Maybe we've just been conditioned to think that they're just a bunch of, like, goobers. You know, they're just a bunch of goofballs who don't, like, they're more or less just an outdated juggalo joke or whatever. But maybe they're not. Maybe they actually do have a better understanding of reality and nature as a whole in the homestuck universe that most of the other characters do and the only reason we don't take them more seriously to begin with is because of the whole clown thing yeah i know that's not the most complicated answer but that's the only way i can rationalize marvis knowing as much as he does no yeah and 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 it's important to remember that and as stupid as i'm about to like is i i hate this because when you even like like this comic in this universe has designed a cosmic force like so important but also so stupid to talk about that you feel like an idiot every time you're engaging with it seriously but it's important to remember that in this cosmology the juggalo religion of alternia is correct <laughs> like it's 100 canon like like they're right like they're the right religion they got it right they they know like like the the messiahs they worship are gamzy and lord english like <laughs> Like, Gamzee was his own messiah. 
Um, isn't that incredible? <laughs> yeah, isn't that it? Like, Gamzee's story is actually really interesting, but the thing is, is that, like Marvis, it's couched in these layers and layers of bullshit. <laughs> I feel like once Friend Sim is done, or at least this first batch of Friend Sims is done, I'm going to have to go back and read through Homestuck again, but specifically take a look at Gamzee's whole route. Since I know the first time I read it, I more or less kind of thought of him as, you know, just a mean character who occasionally just spotted off into big violence. And I didn't really understand it because I didn't have a very thorough understanding of even Alternian culture, let alone, you know, his religion and how he felt about the world around him, how his class spec impacted that, etc. But now that We've gone through, met a whole bunch of other clowns, realized that they all have this very, like, interesting relationship with their own religion, seen more of how that religion impacts Alternian life and that little sliver of society that it takes on. I would like to go back and read Gamzee's route with that new perspective in mind and maybe get more out of it than I did last time. I think Gamzee's a character who grows in understanding and significance on rereads. Um, but obviously it can it's be... It's so easy to write him off as a meme character the first time around. It is, and then it's also very easy to just be repulsed by, and understandably so, by his relationship with Terezi. Um, oh, yeah, it is gross. Yeah, I mean, and the abusive connotations that that takes on. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, just sort of not want to engage with that concept further. And if you don't want to do that, I don't blame you, <laughs> frankly. I don't blame you either. Yeah. He's gross. Uh, Asphalt Dreams asked on Twitter, uh, what do you think Marvis's class spec might be? Some might say he's he might be the same as Jake since everyone's horny for him in his armpits, but he's also hella deep, especially during his endings regarding the hemospectrum and the friend sim as a whole. So I'm going to go first, uh, because my speculation is this. Uh, he is a lord. Uh, he is specifically mentioned on his troll call card, is running the shit show. Uh, his, the, like, the narration describing him mentions him commanding attention and commanding people often um and i believe he has a complementary muse in boulder both of them had spiral symbology uh in the backgrounds of their routes uh the spirals being associated with the two cherubs the lord and the muse um and interesting so, i didn't actually realize that in marvis's background art yeah it's in the clown church there's spirals in the in the stained glass oh, window right. yeah um, and so I think, so, and that being, uh, with, with, uh, Boulder being a heart player, that's canon, and if I think she's a muse of heart, then I think, you know, just as, uh, Calliope and Caliborn are the, you know, are opposite aspects, the, you know, muse of space and the lord of time, uh, I think that Marvis is Boulder's opposite aspect, uh, which is mind. Uh, I think he is a lord of mind, and you see that in the way that everyone treats him. Uh, he totally enraptures the minds of those surrounding him, including our protagonist, including Zebra. Um, and they do, frankly, irrational things for him and are immediately devoted to him. I think it's big lord of mind energy. And so you can take that as you will. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't have a canon sign, so we don't know what his aspect is. So, you know, go off speculating. 
Well, I bet he does have a canon sign, but it purposely being, you know... Right, he doesn't have one yet, I guess, to say. (laughs) Um, Interesting. I actually read that question earlier, and coming into this, I also assumed that his aspect was going to be um, mind, just because of the kinds of conversations he has with the uh, reader once they're out of the view of the crowds and all. Ah, Forgive me. Um... You know, he has to act like an ignorant fuckboy on the stage. And he even straight up says that, you know, a lot of what he does is an act that he's not purposely, you know, like completely fond of. But when he starts talking not just about his religion, but alternative society as a whole, how the human spectrum works, how he knows that this is fundamentally dumb, unnatural, and unfair, like... He shares knowledge, not just as, like, individual facts, but as, like, a deeper fundamental understanding of the universe and the people who inhabit it, which to me struck me as, like, a very mind player kind of thing. I didn't really know what to make of his class coming into it. Um, I didn't really have a specific idea about that, but since you um, linked him to Boldir, the other, like, kind of... Cosmically significant. <laughs> yeah, yeah cosmically. I was going to say, like, also talking about, like, the meta-reality of the universe kind of character was just a wordy way of saying the same thing. Yeah, now that you bring up that um, similarity that the two had that I didn't even notice... Um, yeah, no, I would say I actually kind of agree with your assessment of him as potentially a lord. I can't think of any other way that he would immediately command that sort of, like, devotion from people who, like, beyond that of even other purple bloods, like, he's different. Like, Chathut never drew eyes the same way. Um, there's something really unique, like one of a kind about this guy. And I really highly doubt we've seen the last of his influence, his individual influence on this story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know it's a boring answer, but I agree with you. No, yeah, no, that's, that's totally fine. Uh, and, you know, if you don't want to involve uh, like master classes in it, and I understand that I'm a big fan of master classes personally, but, you know, you could see him as a goodness basically man basically any of the active classes i feel like he could be uh any of any of page uh like page witch thief prince uh maybe mm-hmm. even maybe even maid or sylph uh if they finally decide to get away from the idea that those classes are gendered which they should <laughs> what if they just said bard is like a musician joke that'd be funny that would be funny though i don't think it's yeah though i don't know if it's a wholly appropriate or anything i just think it would be an interesting coincidence yeah it would be <laughs> Um, let's see. Uh, so also a couple weeks ago, uh, we got, we got some excellent content that I'm going to go ahead and talk about on the, that, like, I decided to talk about on the show because I feel like it's Homestuck adjacent in that it's indie media from like the same social circle of creators, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we got it's Delta Room. It's a beloved cousin. <laughs> yeah, it's a beloved cousin of, of Homestuck, you know? It has, it's, uh, so Delta Rune is a alternate story told in a universe similar to undertale with many many of the same characters um and a lot of similar gameplay motifs uh it is it's 
It's canon AU fic for Undertale. <laughs> More or less, yeah. Like, uh, the new gameplay system is so fun. Like, the little changes make it way more complex than the combat from the original Undertale. It's so neat. Everybody go play Deltarune right now. If you haven't played it yet, go play it. If you haven't played Undertale yet and you're still kind of interested, just play it anyway. It's okay. I think it's the kind of game you can enjoy as a standalone. Yeah, if you haven't, yeah, whether you've played Undertale or not, Go to Deltarune. If you haven't played Deltarune yet, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Stop listening right now. Uh, I'll just tell you right now that our in- that our intro music was by Gumi. Uh, you can find twitter.com slash fruitytmusic uh, just so you know that before you leave. But go to deltarune.com, download Play Deltarune, and then come back later. <laughs> oh, please. Don't let yourself get spoiled by this. Just enjoy the experience fresh. It's so good. Yeah, it was so nice knowing nothing oh, going so in and playing it, frankly. It was, like, really, really cool to just sort of discover over the course of the game that, like, what is this world? Is it different? I, I thought at first that it was just, like, the post-game of Undertale, mm-hmm. and then I very quickly learned that it wasn't, you know, and it and it's very interesting that way. <laughs> I feel like most players are like that. Most people playing Deltarune had already not only played Undertale in the past, but completed multiple um, playthroughs in the past with different endings. So they probably went into it with a little bit of trepidation, were very cautious about the decisions they were making, especially with the wording uh, leading up to the release of the game of, you know, this is a test, this is a survey, which made people think, oh, maybe this will, maybe the way I play this game will impact other developments into the future. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of people went in with their experience, uh, colored by their experience playing Undertale. I know there were a lot of people who chose to play um, Deltarune strictly pacifist, not even because the game tells you to, not even because Ralsei tells you to do it, but just because they're afraid of getting a bad ending, um, how Undertale would have given you, despite the fact that even from the very beginning of Deltarune Chapter 1, the game tells you nobody really has a choice who they are in this world. Yeah. It's like, you know, obviously it's going to have a very different tonal presence than Undertale did, but people went in with more or less the same mindset when it came to gameplay. Mm -hmm. And I think to speak to that, it's like there's no determination isn't mentioned. And, oh, not once. Yeah, not once. And determination seemed to be the thing that allowed, uh, like, the player character in Undertale to change things and and achieve. Mm-hmm. But you know, there are there are two different endings in Deltarune, but they're about the other character's actions, not about yours. Like, you get the other ending typically because Susie, like, you know, almost killed somebody. Or, uh, and, and, you know, then the other, like, like, Lancer and the Darkners do not come to your aid at the end, and you, you know, you had just, you deal with the king in a different way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't know what both of the endings are, just because I played through it once and I didn't actually replay it. Um, the ending that I got was, um, you defeat the, uh, final bad guy, Lancer's dad, um... I think there was like a mob or something like that. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the full pacifist ending where the mob comes and deposes him. Oh, interesting, cool. (laughs) Yeah, and I do recall as I was playing through the game, I didn't let um. There was one enemy that Susie wound up hitting when I didn't realize that she was capable of doing that. But Mm -hmm. after that point, it was always like putting her to sleep because I was just that scared of a bad ending. Uh-huh. Um, because you know, Undertale conditioned me that way. Of course. And um sure enough, I guess I got the slightly better ending of the two then, I assume. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that actually reminds me, so let's let's talk about some characters. Uh, Sis asked on Twitter, how do you feel about Susie's arc and control over the narrative? Uh, where do you think it will go from here? I love my daughter. Her name I is love Susie. Susie. I love Susie. She's, she's uh, somebody else asked, uh, not Vriska, asked on Discord, is Susie an example of a Vriska? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I knew this was going to happen. Uh-huh. I knew I was going to have to confront you when I came onto this podcast. Oh, are you, are you going to tell me that, Su- that Susie is not a Vriska? Okay. Listen, I'm not necessarily saying that, but I think we haven't seen enough of Susie to fully determine whether or not she is a wholly realized Vriska. You have to understand, Deltarune has only had chapter one revealed, and a lot of the contextual stuff that makes up how we understand Vriska as a character is just information about Susie that we really don't know. Like, we don't... Even though we've played through Deltarune as it's presented to us, we don't know a whole lot about Susie yet. We don't know why she turned out into kind of a bully. We don't know what her background and lifestyle is like. We've seen uh, she is slow but ultimately capable of making friends. We know that if guilted into it a little bit, she can um, slowly warm up to people and then kind of see the better end of things. Like She's not always wrathful, but I don't think she was, and I don't mean this is an insult of risk necessarily, but she wasn't quite as like, manipulative so to speak she was a lot more like upfront and forceful about what she wanted and why um she didn't play a lot of the same mind games that Vriska tended to do she just kind of oftentimes just cut off the player from even responding to what she was saying or making their own decisions just saying fuck it it doesn't matter either way so that's why I think, you know, maybe if we learn a little bit more about her, my perspective on this might change. But for the moment, I'm not entirely convinced. She shares a lot of similarities with Vriska, but I don't know if that makes her a Vriska, if that's, that makes sense. That's totally fair. Uh, you know, I think I think her ambition and desire to be, uh, you know, influential over the narrative coupled with her, like, you know, clear, like, bully coding that turns into... Mm-hmm a you know more noble heroic calling i think these are i think these are vriska traits i also think uh as we defined in episode eight like the vriska hinging on like having at least one important often romantic relationship with a woman and that's like Susie. uh so like uh, noelle has a crush on Susie. uh so hopefully it goes there too yeah me too things work out for the wlws the woolawas the woolawas toby toby's always looking out for the woolawas toby fox lesbian ally up there with thor himself yeah but yeah uh again my perspective might change as we learn more about Susie. but i am just a little I'm erring on the side of caution. How All right, and that, that was this week's required risk course. Like we had to do it. Like literally, it's in the it's in the intro. Um, let's see. Psychic Fang asks on Twitter, "What's the theory on the world of Delta Rune? Do you think it really is just an AU or something more? And that Azrael is really Azrael from Undertale, and is Chris really a person of their own or a different universe version of either Frisk or Chara?" I. It, it ties into my answer about Susie, where I just think we haven't been presented with enough information to really know who, like, what this universe is relative to the Underwood Tale one. Uh-huh. My assumption is that it's more or less like 
an AU with its own, like, same characters, more or less, but completely different timelines for all of them. Um, I don't know to what degree it's going to be connected to the Undertale one, but I imagine that connection will be pretty loose. Like, my gut assumption is that the plot of Undertale is not going to be a major plot factor in Deltarune. Like, I don't think, like, Undertale Azrael is going to smash in and say, I have to change the timeline or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be one of those things where it will, having played Undertale, will enrich and possibly change your understanding of Deltarune, as it did for many people who were playing it for the first time. But I don't think Deltarune is Undertale 2. I don't think it's like Undertale. I don't think it's like there's going to be like timeline hopping between the two universes. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's either. I don't think it's strictly a prequel or a sequel. And I, I don't think that it's. I think that it will provide us more insight into the like cosmic mechanics of how this like series of worlds work. But yeah, the, that's it. <laughs> yeah, like the the one the two things that make me question my own belief a little bit. One is the fact that, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but the cell phone sound that plays if you try to use Chris's cell phone in, uh, I guess, underground, so to speak, um, I think it was like a distorted or possibly backward-played version of a Gaster's audio from Undertale. Yeah, I don't know enough of the Gaster lore to say anything intelligent about the guy, but I know that the whole, like thematic tweets leading up to delta rune's release were meant to be read sort of in his voice so that character probably has something to do with this like alternate universe bit to what degree he's going to be present if at all i don't know yeah the other thing is um big spoilers Azrael slash raw say and the fact that in the overworld, so to speak, everyone talks about Azrael, your beloved brother who's gone off to college but is going to be visiting real soon. Um, but Azrael, as we more or less know him, also makes his appearance underground as Ralsei, still keeping up this position as a prince, still being the relatively nice guy he would have been before the events of Undertale, or prior to Undertale, I guess. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know how that's going to tie in to Undertale itself. I just don't know. I'm just as confused as everybody else. Yeah, he sure is. He sure is a sweet boy, though. Sweet, fluffy boy. He's a sweet, Good fluffy fun. boy. The power of mean girls and fluffy boys. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Not Vriska also asked on, on Discord, any ideas for class backing the Delta Brune characters? And I actually... Oh. First off, I love these questions, but also uh, back on the first, I actually tweeted this: uh, Chris, Knight of Heart, Ralse, Prince of Doom, uh, because in that in that way you like destroy Doom. You know, you like you know you 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 prevent Doom almost. Uh, Susie, Thief of Rage. I will not budge on that one. That's very obvious. And Lancer, rage coded. <laughs> yeah, and Lancer, dumb of ass. <laughs> I don't know if the um continued like friendship kind of thing is going to keep being a thing as Delta Rune as like the full game comes out. I don't know if Susie Ralsei and Lancer are going to remain like the party or if you're ever going to have other friends mm -hmm. that come in 
But I could see the argument that Chris could possibly be you know, a blood alignment if those bonds remain such a big element of how you progress through the game. Mm-hmm. Like it's a big part of the combat system too. Like you're a way more you're way more effective at getting through the game if you're using all the characters in sync with one another, even if in sync half the game means putting Susie to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> But then, you know, and it sort of reminds me of, uh, like, actually, the gameplay that it reminded me the most of was, uh, like, Mario and Luigi, which is one of my favorite RPGs. Uh, but just, <laughs> like, you know, just, like, the, the battle, just the battle mechanics and, like, how you enter the battle visually and, like, it just reminded me of that. I don't know. I'm a big Mario RPG fan. Mm-hmm. Let's, yeah. <laughs> it reminded me, like, the actual, like, bullet hell segments reminded me... I know I said this last time when Undertale came out, but I'll say it again and mean it more this time. It meant it reminded me a little bit of Toho because they introduced the bullet grazing system in Deltarune, where if you stay, if you keep your heart in close vicinity to the bullets without letting them hit you, you'll hear that sort of like sort of grazing sound, and you'll see that your TP is going up very quickly. It's so fun. Yeah, like it's fun. It adds that extra element of skill to the battle system, but it's more or less the same thing as the bullet grazing system from Toho. Except in Toho, all that really does, at least in most of the games, is just raise your score. So it's more important to people trying to max out their score than just like survive. Um, other bullet hell games almost certainly have a similar feature as well. I can't name them because I haven't played them. But yeah, I made that connection too. It was very mm-hmm. cool. Like, I'm going to keep it real. I didn't think that the gameplay of Undertale was anything particularly special. Uh, the absolutely perfect, like, writing music and, like, iconic art carried it over the line. Um, but, like, the actual, like, gameplay loop of, like, doing, you know, fights and encounters in Undertale, like, outside of, of, of the, a couple of engaging major bosses, it was not super fun for me. Um... There was, um, I don't know if it was a series of tweets or a full review, but, um, there was a, there is, um, a game reviewer at Head Falls Off who mentioned, um, I think about a week ago, some criticism of Undertale's gameplay system, which I more or less kind of agreed with, um, issues with pacing that were sort of tied to the gameplay itself. It reminded me of when I first played the game where I thought, the um the humor of it was really great the first time around but if there was a specific chain of events that you were struggling to get through like a specific boss um or a specific route that you just kept dying in you were forced to like reload and play that segment again and again and again and each time the punchline just gets a little less funny um i enjoy bullet hell games enough that the combat of undertale remains sort of um it remained fun for me even if i had to redo certain fights often but i can see why a lot of people would go through it and just find it kind of monotonous and drain the fun out of what's supposed to be you know more or less a really enjoyable part of the game i can definitely agree with that criticism of it I don't know what to really make of Deltarune since the whole game's not out yet. I don't really want to... That's why I wanted to bring up my issues with Undertale's gameplay, because Deltarune Mm -hmm. is so much more refined as a product, Mm -hmm. and, like, the gameplay loop of engaging with these fights and the, like, added complexity 
of it and the like added mm-hmm. visuals like are fantastic i like i in, i never found it tedious <laughs> to get involved in a fight in delta rune it was like fun and like the tp element especially how it's the only way to heal your party effectively like in in the slightly longer stretches is to like get into fights and like build up tp and use ralsei's healing it like felt so good i actually got into felt- a sense of flow <laughs> I felt like I had more control over the fights individually in Deltarune than I did in Undertale because you have a lot more like micro decisions you can make to get through it. There are more ways to get through a fight that you don't have to like actively avoid. Um, maybe that's because there are less endings to it, which gives you more flexibility to just get through the fights how you want without having to feel bad about it. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's you know, fun. <laughs> it is, it's a fun game. It's a good fucking game. If you listen to this without playing it yet, shame on you and go play it. Um, let's see. And our last question, uh, Weasel asked on Discord, should Toby Fox recruit a team to make the next few chapters of Deltarune or should he start another Kickstarter and focus on making the rest of the game by himself with the money that's gained from the campaign? So we actually talked about this in a twit longer that he posted, um, mm-hmm. which is just like, I want to do a dev team. I've never done that before, so let's find out. Like, don't expect anything anytime soon, but we'll see how it goes. Um, and, you know, so certainly I hope that, like, it goes well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as someone who, like, in my other professional life, like, manages the intersection of video games and corporate life and, you know, like, putting teams mm-hmm. together to put big projects out... Uh, I, you know, I would love, I hope that they do end up putting a, like, a competent and, like, fun to work with team together, and, you know, because I would love to see this game come out, but I don't want to see it, I don't want to see people, like, grind themselves to death for it, right? And I don't think that's going to (laughs) happen. That's kind of how I feel. I feel like, because Deltarune looks like it's shaping up to be much more ambitious than Undertale itself was, the graphics are a lot more complex even though it's still pixel art like still pixel art but it's in full color now um the whole battle system is a lot more complicated than undertales was i feel like if you try and do this individually it'll either take an extremely long time or not necessarily be like financially viable you'll just burn yourself out or force yourself to crunch so bad that you're going to be putting your own health at risk i would hope that Toby Fox would be able to put a team together to make sure that labor is balanced properly instead of keeping it all on his own shoulders and possibly hurting himself, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, you know, I, uh, also, hey, uh, Toby, my DMs are open if you want a manager. <laughs> <laughs> are you willing to possibly ever get him onto this podcast is my question. I mean, I would be, it would, I would be so happy to interview Toby Fox. Obviously he seems like an absolutely delightful dude. Um, you know, uh, that would be fun for sure. Uh, well, that's our show. I think unless you got some other stuff you wanted to talk about. No, I basically word saladed my way through another episode. <laughs> hey, you did great. Don't worry about it. Oh, thank you. Everybody, everybody listening to this episode, go at Safara Dawn on Twitter and, and tell them they did great. <laughs> oh, thank you ever so much. <laughs> uh, so this is the Perfectly Generic Podcast. This was episode 11. You can find us at perfectlygenericpodcast.com, twitter.com slash pgenpod, or pgenpod.tumblr.com. Uh, you can find this podcast on iTunes, the Google Play Store, or my favorite podcast client, Overcast. 
um, as well as anywhere that uses you know the the iTunes uh, podcast database. Uh, give us a review or a like on those services to help show our show to more people. Um, you can follow me personally. Twitter.com slash Gamblignant8 is my Homestuck-specific account. Uh, Twitter.com slash KateMitchellOW is my professional account. Uh, and you can also find me on Tumblr at Gamblignant8, although I don't post much, but you can see where I put all the cool fan art I see. <laughs> um, where I reblog it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, where can folks find you, Sam? You can find me at Sephardon on sephardon.tumblr.com Still working on that webcomic. The end goal is in sight. I plan on having the first chapter of sorts uploaded by the end of December or early January. Really looking forward to that. I'll eventually get a URL ready for it, a website. I just have to figure out how. <laughs> oh, I can do that. Let's circle back oh, with me. I'll circle back with me off the show. Are we, let's just do it on the show. Kate, Kate oh. buys. Kate, Kate shows you how to how to put up a website, Asmer. Uh, all I know is the words Winx and Squarespace. I don't know what either of those are. I just know you use those to build websites. That's true. I do I do use Squarespace for the perfectly generic podcast because it's just way easier than rolling your own site. And by the way, Squarespace, sponsor me. Sponsor this podcast. <laughs> I would that's the dream is to one day open with the perfectly generic podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Um yeah, so the music this week is by the leader of the perfectly generic music team, Gumi. Uh, this, the intro and outro song is Another Noir. Uh, it's a remix of a uh, song from uh, Deltarune and a song from the Homestuck soundtrack, sort of mashed up together. It's fucking amazing. Uh, you can follow Gumi on twitter.com slash fruitytmusic or uh, their more Homestuck and Vast Error specific account, twitter.com slash itsgumi underscore. Uh, and Gumi's spelled like the Pokemon. Uh, alright, that's it, that's, that's it, everybody. You guys have a good week. See ya. See ya.